Welcome everyone to Dafyomi one week at a time. Um, this is our 11th lesson and uh, the second to last lesson probably uh, of uh, Masechet Yoma. We will be completing uh, our study of Masechet Yoma next Thursday. Uh, so I have to see if I can do eight daf on Tuesday. Uh, we'll see, otherwise we'll save it for the week after, but uh, those of you who are learning every day, uh, this Masachet finishes next Thursday, uh, so maybe we will try to finish it up next Tuesday uh, as well. So uh, we'll talk about it a little bit more at the end. Um, this week we're going to be summarizing Daf 71, uh, Ayin Aleph, through 79, uh, Ayin Tet. Um, so we are going to finish up um, the the um, seventh chapter, and um, the Daf seventy one talks about uh, the end of the service uh, and tells us that uh, the verse that tells us that uh, Aharon uh, that Aaron came out of the Kodesh Hakodeshim uh, to remove uh, the different items that this verse is out of order in the service. Um, I brought a picture from, for you. Uh, this is from, again, from Daf HaChayim. Uh, it is in Hebrew, um, but uh, it does show a summary. Um, for those of you who, who don't read Hebrew, you can see how the clothing is different uh, for the high priest. Again, the, the, we're, we're going to talk about his clothing in a little bit. Um, so if you look at picture number one, uh, the high priest is wearing his regular uh, high priest clothing, the Bigdei Kehuna, uh, which we call Bigdei Zahav, the golden um, um, vestments. Um, and picture number two is showing you the Bigdei Lavan, the, the white clothing uh, in anything that was done uh, special for Yom Kippur. Um, so we, we went through, we have learned all of these, uh, all of these services. Um, and this, this picture is showing us how, again, remember we said that there were five times that the high priest uh, went into the mikvah and ten times that he washed his hands and his feet, and that was every time he switched clothing. Uh, so here you can see, uh, right, clothing number one is his regular garments when he does the tamid, the regular um, service of the day. Um, number two is, or again, in between, number two is the white clothing where he's going to be doing uh, the uh, avodah, the service that is done inside the Holy of Holies, the Kodesh HaKodeshim. Number three uh, is when he changes again into the gold clothings, clothing when he does um, the ayol, the ram, his own and for the nation. Uh, number four is when he puts on the white clothing. Um, to take out, and this is what we're discussing now, um, to take out the uh, spoon and the pail that, uh, the spoon and the machta, uh, like the shovel that was put, uh, that was left in the Kodesh HaKodashim. Number five would be when he changes again into the gold clothing uh, in order to do uh, the last, um, the Korban Tamid, the regular service of the afternoon. Uh, and therefore, we see where the order of the verse has to be in order for there to be 
five times that the Kohen uh, has to go to the mikvah. If not, and if the order is the way the verses are, uh, he would only have to go um, three times into the mikvah. That's what this uh, picture is showing us. Um, the Gemara on 71 um, continues and tells us that, um, remember, we sent out the, the goat uh, that went la'azazel, remember, to the wilderness. We discussed that uh, that person uh, yesterday, uh, last week. And um, again, uh, the, the Gemara tells us that when he comes back, he tells the high priest, we did everything that you sent us to do. Um, that's if he meets him in the, in the marketplace. Uh, if he sees him in his house, so then he says, uh, I did what God sent me to do. Uh, what's very interesting is the Gemara discusses the difference. Uh, why does the, the, the person say something different depending on where he meets uh, the high priest? Uh, and the Gemara says that in, in public, so then we want to give the high priest uh, his uh, honor. We want to honor him. And therefore, the person says, I listened to everything you said. Uh, but really, we know that he was listening to what God told him to do. Uh, and therefore, in public, he says that he was listening to the high priest. In private, he says he was really listening to God. Uh, so I thought that that was uh, very interesting. The Gemara continues and tells us about um, how different people left uh, or said goodbye to one another. Um, and uh, using God's name or, or saying goodbye in a proper way. Um, and um, the, the Gemara then continues on 71, uh, telling us about, um, about a, um, that they would make a festival, a Yom Tov, um, after, um, they, after Yom Kippur in order to rejoice. Uh, as we have mentioned throughout this Masechet, um, there was a lot of tension on Yom Kippur. And it's interesting because it's it's not the way we think about it. Uh, I know I'm always, uh, I don't know if tension is the right word, but it's a very serious day, Yom Kippur. Um, we're fasting, uh, we're, we're in shul for most of the day. Uh, there are a lot of prayers. We want to take it very seriously. What's interesting is um, in the time of the temple, in the time of the Beit HaMikdash, uh, the tension was, I think, a little different, right? We discussed that if the high priest, if the Kohen Gadol was not um, fit to be the Kohen Gadol or fit to do the service, that he could die. Um, and I think the tension was, was different. Uh, it was that we hoped that the service would go according to plan. Uh, remember, the beginning of the message, we talked about uh, the Kohen Gadol, the high priest, preparing himself uh, the whole week before and the night before. He doesn't sleep. Uh, there's a lot of anticipation, uh, and it's really centered around the avodah, the service um, of, of, uh, of, of the temple, um, which is just interesting to think about um, our Yom Kippur versus the Yom Kippur uh, in the time of the Beit HaMikdash. Um, 
once um once uh, everybody uh, so that basically they would give they would give a lot of uh, honor to the the kohen gadol the gemara discusses that they would also give um you give honor to a talmid chacham to a scholar um over uh, or more so than a high priest who is um here it's called an am haaretz uh, maybe i would use the word ignorant um so it's interesting to to see the comparison between the Torah scholar and the Kohen Gadol. Um, the, the, the Gemara says again, um, so now the Mishnah on 71 uh, discusses the clothing that the priests wore. Uh, and here again is, is um, here are some um, pictures. So the one on the left, the Kohen on the left, again, wearing the white clothing, that is the regular Kohen, the regular priest. He wore four special garments. Uh, you can see here he had pants, a tunic, a belt, and a hat. Um, the Kohen Gadol, the Gemara explains here, the Mishnah uh, explains here, uh, the Kohen Gadol, the high priest, wore eight uh, garments, so the four of the regular Kohen, plus four special garments, uh, and that was the Me'il, which was um, here it says a long shirt, but a, 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 a tunic that went on top. Um, the the uh, the choshen and the ephod are the the breastplate and the tzitz, which is the the headband. Uh, so the 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 golden headband that had God's name on it. Um, so these are um, these are the special garments, uh, and the Mishnah explains that. Uh, the the breastplate, the choshen, uh, was um, uh, a way to communicate with God, which was very interesting. Uh, the the Gemara will explain more, but the Mishnah says that uh, a king or the uh, the leader of the of the court or um, a, a public leader could ask God a question through the high priest. Through the Choshen, through the uh, Urim Vetumim, uh, which was the special breastplate that uh, the Kohen um, wore. And we'll talk a little bit more about this uh, on, on the next daf. Um, but first, the Gemara is going to tell us how these garments were made. Um, so um, the, the Gemara says that uh, in the Torah, the verse says that it needs to be Shesh Mashzar. Shesh, uh, as in six, um, that each thread had six had six strands, and um, meaning each thread was was uh, I guess right was six strands, six six strands, uh, and that was what was uh, used to make the tunic and the hat. Um, mashzar, anything that says that was made shesh mashzar, meant that it was um, eight strands. Um, the me'il, this the long shirt of the Kohen Gadol, that had 12 strands. And the Gemara is going to continue and tell us um, many more things that were made and how many strands they were used. Um, but first it explains um, what does it mean shesh? Again, shesh in terms of six, but shesh really means linen. It was the fabric uh, in which or the the material in which the the item of, of was made. Um, so again, shesh is linen. Um, and again, flash, linen is made out of flax, which grows in single stalks. 
Um, and um, basically, the um, the the Gemara explains that anything that was shesh was six um, six thread six strands per thread. Um, okay, now comes uh, some math. Uh, again, mashzar is eight. Um, so that was for the meil. Uh, this was for the the rimonim, the the pomegranates that were woven, uh, that were placed uh, on this the special coat of the high priest. Uh, so that was eight. The parochet was made out of twenty four strands. Um, so it basically, the the Gemara explains that it was six types of wool. Um, each thread had eight. Um, or maybe it was learned from the from the belt. Uh, so again, here the here you can see the meil on the right. It's talking about the meil, which was again the long tunic that was twelve strands. Um, so it was basically um, braided right six times two, which is twelve. Um, then um, the parochet, that's the one in the middle, the parochet was 24 strands because it was six, right? Each thread is, is six strands times four because it was four different types um, of threads. Again, you can see here, Tchelet, Argaman, Tolat, Shani, and Shesh, Mashzar, which is um, different um, colors, right? Tchelet, uh, is the blue, Argaman is purple, uh, Tolat Shani is red, Shesh Mashzar is the white linen. Um, so that is the Parochet, and uh, that was 24. Um, and the Choshen and the Ephod were 28, because they have the same as the, it was the same uh, as the Parochet, but we also have Zahav, gold. Uh, so gold was another four strands. Um, and that was added um, to the, again, there wasn't gold in the me'il or the parochet, only in the choshen. Um, the, the Gemara continues telling us about the priestly garments and that um, you needed to treat them with great respect. If you tore them, you would get lashes. Um, if you detach the choshen from the ephod, again, the choshen is the is the um, is the breastplate with all the um, with all the stones on them, and um, the ephod was the um, the material that it was sewn to, and then it was attached to um, the the high priest. So you were not allowed to remove the breastplate from the material from the fabric that it sat on. Um, the Gemara explains as well, you're not allowed to remove the poles from the Aron, uh, from the Ark, which is going to take us into a conversation about uh, the Ark. Uh, but we, again, the Ark is in the, uh, that held the tablets. Uh, we're going to talk about that in a minute. Um, so the, the Gemara talks about, um, again, uh, these poles and says that um, they they needed they needed to be able to be uh, placed into the rings, um, but they were not those poles were not to be removed. Um, from here, the Gemara continues on seventy two, uh, discussing the uh, clothing of the high priest, uh, and to say that if um, that the the 
the clothing, we say the clothing makes the man, uh, but the, the high priest could not do the service unless he had these uh, clothing, unless he was wearing the clothing. Uh, and that is what facilitates atonement for the nation. Um, and uh, that was something that was very uh, important. Um, another another uh, point that the Gemara adds is that maybe these clothing, they were woven in one piece, uh, meaning it was like ready to wear. Uh, it wasn't like, um, you know, woven in 10 different parts and sewn together, um, but it was mostly uh, woven in one piece and the, the sleeves were sewn on. Um, from here, the Gemara discusses the Aron Habrit, where uh, the uh, the um, tablets were kept. Uh, and here you can see it was made uh, in different parts. Uh, here are the poles that we were discussing before. Um, and the, the Gemara explains that that uh, Bitzalel, Bitzalel was the architect of the, uh, the Mishkan, of the tabernacle. And he made the Aron, uh, he made it in three boxes. As you can see here, there's an inner box made out of gold, uh, and a middle box that was made out of wood, and then an outer box made out of gold. That's how, um, that's how um, the, the Aron was covered on the inside and outside with gold. Uh, the, the Gemara has a beautiful line that there were three crowns that existed in the temple. Uh, one, as we can see here, here, what does it mean crown? If you can look carefully, I'll make it a little bit bigger. No. Uh, if you can look carefully, uh, there was this lattice work that went around the top edge of the uh, Aron. Uh, that is considered a crown. Uh, the Gemara says that there are three crowns in the temple, one on the Aron, one on the golden altar, which we saw uh, last week, uh, and one on the shulchan, on the table of the showbread. Uh, and these symbolize um, three different crowns that God gave the Jewish people. Uh, the, the crown of priesthood, and that was given to Aaron, to Aaron, that was given to Aaron. Um, the the uh, shulchan, the the crown that was on the table uh, symbolizes malchut, meaning monarchy, and that was given to David. And the last crown is the crown on the Aron. And again, what's inside the Aron? The, the Luchot, the tablet. And that symbolizes the crown of Torah. Uh, and the Gemara teaches us that this crown is available to everyone. Uh, and it's really a beautiful idea um, that anyone who learns Torah, so all nine of you that are here in this shir, uh, plus, you know, everyone else out there. Um, if you learn Torah, uh, you have acquired the crown of Torah. And it's really just a beautiful idea. Um, the Gemara continues the, the um, comparison between uh, a person who learns Torah and the, the Aron, right? Saying that just like the Aron here, you can see its inside matches its outside, right? It's gold 
on the inside and gold on the outside, a person who studies Torah or a, a proper, uh, here it seems right, uh, a, a scholar should, uh, again, his inside should be reflected on the outside. And I'll say it the other way also, right? His outside should reflect his inside. Uh, we should all um, reflect in both ways, right? On the inside, on the outside, all the Torah uh, that we are acquiring. Uh, and from here, the Gemara continues about a scholar, that a scholar should be uh, a yirat shamayim, should have awe of heaven um, and be a, a God-fearing Jew. Um, uh, the Gemara, again, uh, talks uh, at the bottom of 72 about the parochet, about the curtain uh, that was at the entranceway, and how that curtain, we, we did learn it previously, the curtain was, um, Im, was woven and embroidered, uh, and it had pick a design on it, uh, and we've learned it before that either the design was uh, the same on both sides, uh, or different pictures on both sides, but somehow it was miraculously or uh, very ingeniously created. Um, on Daf 73, uh, we continue talking about uh, the clothing of the high priest. Um, and uh, the, uh, the concept of what's called the Kohen Mashuach Milchama. Uh, this is the priest who was anointed to go out to war with the nation. Uh, this was a special priest who, it wasn't the, the high priest from the temple, it was another priest who went out to war with the, the army, I, I guess to, lead, to give a spiritual uh, support, maybe like a, a chaplain, um, and he also wore special clothing. Uh, the Gemara discusses, does he, you know, he wears more than the regular Kohen of four, but maybe less then the Kohen Gadol of eight, uh, the Gemara tries to, to figure out um, what his status is. It's somewhere between, uh, you know, the regular Kohen and the, the, the Kohen Gadol, the high priest. Um, and um, the Gemara brings up five things that are uh, the same and then different between these two priests. Um, the Gemara continues and talks about the breastplate, as I mentioned before, the Urim V'tumim. How did it work? Um, how were you able to um, ask God a question? Uh, so the Gemara describes that the questioner would face the Kohen Gadol, the high priest, um, and then the Kohen Gadol would face the temple, uh, and then the leader or whoever was asking the question would ask, right, should I go out to war? Um, and the the answer would be uh, again in God's name, um, and you shouldn't. Interestingly, the Gemara says that you don't ask out loud; you ask quietly, like Chana. And it brings us back to Chana, who um, who prayed, who davened in the Mishkan in Shiloh. Um, right? Chana is where we learn how to pray the silent Amida. Um, right, because she she prayed silently, but her lips were moving. Right, and from here we learn that when in prayer um, we shouldn't yell out loud in the silent amida. It's something that's private between me and God. Um, but we also shouldn't just read the words with our eyes. We should actually say the words. So the same thing here uh, when asking the urim v'tumim, the same idea. Um, 
Um, also, you shouldn't ask for two things together. You should ask one and then the, uh, and then the other. Um, and that the answer never changes, meaning the answer is the answer. Um, and um, how does the answer come back? Uh, so the Gemara explains that letters would light up on the on the urim v'tumim. Uh, what does that mean? The urim v'tumim, the breastplate, had twelve um, stones. On each stone, there was written the 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 name of each tribe. So Reuven, right? It's, it had the word Reuven on engraved on his stone, uh, right? Shimon, Levi. Each stone had its tribe's name. So a, a letter would light up, and that would spell out the answer um, to the question. But says the Gemara, hold on, uh, and those of you can you can look at it later. Uh, it doesn't have, if you look at all 12 tribes, we don't have every letter in the Hebrew alphabet. So the Gemara explains that um, it also said the words Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. Uh, that gave us the tzaddik, because interestingly enough, there's no tzaddik uh, in the 12 tribes. Um, and it also said Shivtei Yushurun. Uh, these are the tribes of Israel. Uh, Shivtei gave us the Tet, uh, because the Tet was also um, was also missing. Um, and with that, we finish the seventh chapter, and uh, we are now going to begin uh, the eighth chapter. Now, um, the eighth chapter is going to talk about. Uh, and, and I would say this is going to be the most practical um, chapter of Masechet Yoma because we're going to talk about um, the things that apply to us nowadays, um, the six prohibitions uh, that are prohibited on Yom Kippur. Um, and these are, right, eating, drinking, anointing oneself, which means, right, putting on oils, um, wearing uh, leather shoes, bathing and having marital relations. Uh, these are all prohibited. They were from, uh, you know, from the time of the Chumash uh, to, uh, to nowadays. Um, the Mishnah adds that a king and a bride can wash their face, and we'll get back to that in a little bit, uh, and that a nursing mother can wear shoes. Uh, but there is a difference of opinion. We'll get to her at the end. Um, and then the, the Mishnah ends by telling us the amount, the shi'ur, uh, for each thing. Uh, so for eating, it's called a kotevet. Uh, a kotevet is a plump date. Uh, that is the size uh, that if you ate that much, you would be considered uh, liable uh, for eating on Yom Kippur. Uh, for drinking, it's called melolugmav, which basically means a full cheek. Um, and these are the, uh, the amounts. Uh, this is just uh, as an aside, practically this is very important. Uh, for those of you who are familiar, uh, if somebody is, let's say, um, sick, if someone, again, if, if someone is um, what's called uh, if there's true danger, uh, you are allowed to break your fast. Um, the rabbis talk about someone who is uh, what's called you're sick, you're not feeling well. Uh, there is no, let's say, danger to your life. Um, 
then you are Again, please ask your local rabbi and local authority, but um, there are ways um, to um, eat very small amounts uh, in order to uh, give you energy so you don't, uh, you know, so you don't pass out. Um, and uh, these, these uh, amounts, these shiurim are very important because they tell us what is considered eating and drinking. Uh, so again, we'll get to that at the end of today's uh, class. Uh, so the Gemara continues. Um, what about what's called chatsi uh, shiur, meaning half a shiur? Um, again, it's, it's, not, it's not that it's okay, right? If I have just a tiny bit, that's not okay. Um, but in extenuating circumstances, uh, there are leniencies, and that's just important um, to understand. Um, okay, let's move on to Daf 74, Ayin uh, Dalid. Um, again, uh, here the, the Gemara says that uh, the punishment of karet, of uh, being cut off, is only if you ate or drank um, uh, this amount or more. Uh, the other, if it's less, so then the the punishment is uh, is different. Um, okay, let's talk about these afflictions, right? Uh, the 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 Bible says that you have to um, afflict your soul. Uh, means affliction. Uh, and that's basically what we're going to talk about here. Um, the question is, how far do we take it? Uh, do you need uh, really to afflict yourself uh, more than these six things? Uh, and the Gemara says no, meaning the, the Torah told us these six things are the things that we need to refrain from. But other things are okay, um, and therefore um, that's just important to understand that. Excuse me, that um, the afflictions that we're talking about are these objective um, prohibitions, and they're the same for everyone. Um, so again, right, eating and drinking. Um, from here, the Gemara talks about uh, the Jewish people who were afflicted uh, in the desert. Uh, this helps in our Parshat uh, Shavua. We've been learning about uh, Sefer Bamidbar, how uh, the Jews in the desert are constantly complaining uh, that they are suffering. So the Gemara here uh, brings those concepts of suffering. Well, how were they suffering in the desert? Let's Let's understand what is suffering. Uh, so the Gemara says they, they were suffering because they didn't have food, right? So not eating is suffering, um, right? The, the, the Gemara adds that they were eating man. What about the man? Um, that, that seemed to also have been an affliction to them. Um, they suffered because of the man, uh, right? So when we think about the man that fell from the sky, this heavenly uh, sustenance that uh, sustained the Jewish people for 40 years in the desert, we think, wow, that's amazing, right? They didn't have to cook. They didn't have to shop. They didn't have to make menus. Like the food just was there every day. Uh, interestingly enough, the Gemara describes that it's not so simple, right? They didn't know, uh, I mean, I guess they, sh they were supposed to have faith, but every day they needed to collect anew, right? So they, when they went to bed at night, 
they didn't know if if the man was going to be there in the morning. Um, and uh, the other thing the Gemara adds is that though the, the Gemara will tell us, and we're going to talk a lot about the man in a minute, um, that the man could taste like anything, but it didn't look like that, right? If you think about cake and it tastes like cake, that's wonderful, but you're still not chewing cake. Uh, and there's something very, I, I guess, psychologically pleasing to see cake. Uh, so they didn't see that, right? Imagine if you could take a pill every day and it tasted like whatever you wanted, that's lovely, but, you know, food is, is nice. So uh, um, it's interesting that uh, the, the Gemara mentions that, that, um, right, the, the Gemara, Rabbi Yossi, who actually was blind, adds that, right, when someone is blind and you can't see your food, you don't get as much enjoyment out of it. So there's something pleasing about seeing, right, visually your food. And if not, there is some sort of, um, of suffering. Um, Daf um, 75, Ayn Hay, um, talks about the curse of the snake. Since we're talking about food, right, the snake uh, in, in Breshit, in Genesis, the snake is cursed that he's going to, right, eat from the dust. Uh, so what does that mean, right, that his food is going to taste like dust? I can imagine that that would be uh, a terrible thing. Um, Again, but one could say, on the other hand, his food is always there, right? If it's, you know, if it's in the dust, it's always there. Uh, and from here, interestingly, the Gemara says that um, there are curses that if you look carefully, you could see, a, uh, I guess, what we would call the silver lining. Uh, so it's interesting to think about that, that when things are bad, just recognize that there's also a silver lining. And the Gemara goes through on Daf 75, uh, some of these curses where God curses someone, uh, and it is a terrible thing, but there's something positive to it as well. Uh, so you can look there for the different um, for the different things. Um, okay, um, and from here we're going to talk about the man. As I mentioned, um, the Gemara likes to, when bringing up a topic, let's go on a little bit of a tangent and let's learn about the man. Uh, what was it like? So the Gemara says that it was round and white. Um, that uh, the um, that that uh, sorry, one second. Uh, ah, that the man had a special power uh, that it could tell um, if a baby, the, the Gemara describes a case where a woman uh, is either divorced or widowed from a husband, from her husband, uh, and then she marries a new husband within three months, uh, and then she discovers that she's pregnant. And the question is, is, is the baby from the first husband or the second husband? The Gemara says that the man was able to... Um, to tell uh, or tell us uh, who's, who's, who was the father, which was interesting. Uh, it could also atone for their sins. Uh, it could reveal things in judgment. So again, interesting here, the Gemara is giving uh, the man a very uh, magical almost power um, to it. Um, the, the Gemara talks about 
um, how it fell and how right for the righteous people, it fell right in front of their door. Uh, so that all they had to do was open their door and there it would be, uh, kind of like uh, Amazon Prime to your door. Uh, if you were Benoni, you were in the middle, uh, so then you had to walk a little further outside. Uh, and if you were really bad, you had to walk really far and go and look at it. Uh, the Gemara discusses how uh, the dew would fall, right? There would be dew underneath it and then dew that covers it. Uh, this is where we get the idea that uh, on Shabbat we cover our challah. Uh, this comes from here, from the fact that the, the man was covered by dew on the bottom. That's like the table or the, the challah board and on top with the challah cover, right? So that's uh, what we do to commemorate this. Um, Interesting um, that along with the man, um, fragrances also fell from the sky. Uh, there were fragrances for women and spices that they could add to their food. Um, and these are also precious stones. Uh, I guess this is a way for the Gemara to explain how in the desert, the Jewish people had all of these things, right? Where did they get fragrances? Where did they get spices? Uh, if you go into the wilderness, we really don't see much of this. Uh, so the Gemara here is saying it fell from the heavens as well. And this is what was donated by the Jewish people um, when they were building the Mishkan, the tabernacle. Uh, the Gemara continues and says that it tasted like oil or it could taste like anything or um, it could change forms like a demon. Um, it's uh, here again now uh, the Gemara goes to a, a different angle, which was uh, that the Jewish people were not happy with the man and still complained. Uh, and that's when God uh, sent um, the, the Slav, the quail uh, that was uh, sent uh, in, you know, uh, large quantities uh, and how uh, the people were punished. There was a plague. People, many people died and they suffered. Um, and um, okay, that, uh, the, uh, okay, then here the, the, the Gemara continues talking about the Slav and how it was really like these inferior birds that did not taste very good. Um, and um, uh, but uh, again, the, the man would melt in your mouth or would, uh, would it be absorbed in your body. Um, and that, uh, that it didn't cause them to go to the bathroom. Uh, which was interesting because then the Gemara asks, well, the Torah tells us that the people didn't need to go to the bathroom. There's a verse that says that if you needed to relieve yourself, um, you needed to take a shovel with you and leave the camp, go to the back of the camp and uh, make sure that you covered whatever you uh, or buried whatever you um, um, left behind. Um, so that is uh, discussed uh, at the bottom of 75. Okay, um, 76. Um, ah, uh, the Gemara asks, well, if God was sending man every day, why didn't he just uh, send it down once a year and let them, you know, gather it all up and that would be enough? Like, why do you need every day? Uh, and the Gemara explains, I think, really beautifully that um, God wanted the people to daven for it every day. God wanted daily contact with his people. Uh, and therefore, um, it was sent every day. Another opinion was God wanted it to be fresh. Uh, so it came down fresh 
every day, uh, and therefore, um, and 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 that was very important. Uh, the Gemara describes that it 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 fell uh, v- very deep. There was a lot of it, um, and. Uh, it was seen by all the enemies of the people uh, and that everybody could see it. Uh, so just the, I, I would say, the, gr- the greatness or the grandness of the miracle of the man. Okay, let's go back to uh, drinking and, um, and eating. Uh, so on Daf 76, the Gemara tells us that drinking wine is like eating. And here we get into a whole discussion about uh, the word tirosh. Uh, tirosh uh, in general, is described or translated as uh, wine. Uh, here, there's actually a company that makes grape juice, and it's called Tirosh. Uh, some people in Hebrew call grape juice Tirosh. Uh, but there's a discussion here on whether Tirosh meant uh, the wine or the fruit that made the wine, right? Is the Tirosh eating or drinking? Uh, and that's the, the, the discussion here. Um, and from here, um, the the uh, the Gemara says that um, drinking wine can either be right good or bad, right? Tea rosh, it could make you like a rosh, like uh, like at the head, or it could make you rush, uh, very poor, right? So you have to be very careful uh, with your uh, alcohol consumption. Um, um, okay, from here we get into uh, quite a long story about Daniel. Uh, Daniel was a prophet um, who took upon himself uh, afflictions for three weeks, and he didn't eat refined bread, and he didn't anoint himself, uh, and he, and. We see here that there's washing and anointing are considered afflictions. Again, we're looking for different sources uh, that, um, I don't want to use the word prove, but where we see the six prohibitions called uh, inuyim, afflictions. So here from Daniel, we see that washing and anointing uh, are considered afflictions. Um, Here the question is again, is the water on the outside, meaning anointing and washing, uh, or could it be from the inside, so it's drinking, right? Um, um, so again, like, is anointing like drinking? Like, what is water on the inside the same as water on the outside? Um, but the Gemara is going to diverge for a minute and tell us uh, an interesting story about Yechezkel, who saw a vision of 70 elders who stood in front of idols in the temple, and there was incense there, and uh, an angel brings him to heaven, and then to Yerushalayim, to the inner courtyard of, of God, and there are uh, these men's there, men there, we're now on the top of 77, um, whose backs are to uh, the temple, and they uh, bow to the sun, and they basically uh, disgrace the temple, uh, and Hashem says that he will destroy the good with the bad. Uh, and Hashem tells Gabriel, uh, the angel, to destroy Jerusalem with his fire. Uh, if you remember, we have mentioned Gabriel before. He's the angel of fire. Um, and uh, it says here that Gabriel uh, does fulfill his mission, but he takes the fire from a kruv, from a cherub. Um, and he returns with a message that he did everything right. Uh, and uh, because of this, because he didn't really do everything exactly right, he sent out of the pargod, which is like the inner sanctu- sanctum of God. 
Um, and the Gemara explains that he should have taken the fire by himself. Um, and then they put a Persian ministering angel in his place. Um, and he wanted to take things from the Jews. Anyway, it's a lot of drama. Um, but basically, uh, Gabriel argues that the Jews who learned Torah shouldn't be ruled by a non-Jew. Uh, and Gabriel spoke very positively about Daniel. And then he was let back in, right? We brought this up because uh, Daniel describes that he sees Gabriel, the angel, being brought back. Uh, so this is like the backstory of why um, Gabriel was sent away and why he was um, brought back. Um, um, okay. Uh, hold on one second. Okay, um, back to the Jews in the desert, uh, how the Jews in the desert were very weary, um, again, maybe because they didn't wash, again, trying to understand the idea of washing as, uh, a, a, um, as an affliction. Um, the Gemara says also not wearing shoes is an affliction. Uh, as David HaMelech, right, King David, walked barefoot and he was afflicted. Uh, so we see here that um, not wearing shoes is an affliction. Um, okay, refraining from relations is also an affliction. Uh, that's learned from Lavan, um, also from Shem, uh, who... Uh, takes dina, the same idea, relations are considered an affliction. Uh, and now, okay, let's talk a little bit about washing. Uh, so the Gemara says you can't even wash part of your body. Um, so too, you may not anoint part of your body, but if you're very, very dirty, uh, you can. Uh, and if you're very sick, you can anoint as well. Um, a mother can wash her hand to feed her child. Um, and the, the Gemara says that you can walk through water in order to learn with a rabbi. Uh, let's say you live, again, in those days, um, uh, there aren't ma many bridges. Um, so let's say you have to walk through a stream to get to a class. Um, you're allowed to walk through the stream in order to go to the class. Um, and here, uh, the Gemara at the bottom of 77, at the top of 78, um, describes the water that came out of the Beit HaMikdash, that will come out of the Beit HaMikdash. Uh, we have seen this previously, so if it sounds familiar, it's because we've learned it before. Uh, but there's a prophecy, uh, Yechezkel saw the prophecy that a, a stream, that water will um, flow from the Beit HaMikdash, from the third temple, out of Yerushalayim. And the Gemara describes how in the beginning it's very slow, it's very small, almost like the antenna of, a, of, a, of an insect, and then it gets a little wider and a little wider and a little wider until um, uh, it really is a, a, a stream and then it's a flowing river. Uh, and it says that you, you can walk through this, um, you can cross it, uh, and that would be okay. Um, but again, if it's very, very, if it's flowing very strongly, uh, then, then that's already too much. Um, okay. Uh, the Gemara on 78, again, uh, asks, well, maybe you can walk through water on Yom Kippur. Uh, we know, again, you're not allowed to walk yourself, but as a, let's say, get stool, uh, so that would be okay. Um, but maybe that's because you're not wearing shoes. But what about on Shabbat? When you're wearing shoes, are you allowed to walk through water? 
what's the question? Uh, the question is um, if the um, if uh, we're concerned lest you um, lest you will lose a shoe, right? Maybe it'll fall off, uh, and then you will uh, pick it up and carry it uh, for amot, as we know you are not allowed to do on Shabbat. Um, so the Gemara asks, are you allowed to walk through water with shoes? Um, so one one opinion is uh, no. That one opinion is uh, yes, you can walk. Um, another is uh, what about sandals? Here it doesn't necessarily mean sandals. It could also mean um, loosely uh, fitting shoes. Again, uh, just uh, just a uh, a point when we see the word shoe or even sandal in the Gemara, it means a leather shoe. And we're, I'll tell you why in a minute, um, but shoes in general were made out of leather uh, in the time of the Mishnah, in the time of the Gemara, that was the way you made a shoe. Uh, we'll get to other uh, materials in a minute, but um, those are not considered shoes. So that's just important to recognize here, uh, which is why right nowadays on Yom Kippur, you're not allowed to wear leather shoes, uh, but you can wear, you know, your your flip flops or your Crocs, right? If it's made out of plastic, it's not considered a proper shoe and therefore it is not prohibited. Um, Okay, um, so the, the Gemara describes a few stories of people walking through water on Shabbat and that it would be okay. Um, the Gemara then continues and says, you're not allowed to sit on mud uh, on Yom Kippur, not for the reason you think, not because it's going to make you dirty, uh, but it's actually going to cool you off. Uh, and that would be uh, that would be problematic. That would be like washing, right? So if any of you have been to, let's say, the Dead Sea, where people put on the mud, uh, so it's it's a way of maybe cleansing yourself. Um, so that would be uh, prohibited. Um, okay, um, let's continue. Ah, so here on, on seventy eight, the Gemara is actually asked. Um, the rabbi asks. Can, what about wearing shoes made out of reeds, uh, out of uh, grass, out of palm trees, uh, palm leaves? Is that okay? And the Gemara says, yes, uh, even though it functions as a shoe, it's not considered uh, a proper shoe, and therefore uh, it, is not, uh, it is not prohibited and one could wear it. Um, the the Gemara continues and discusses a child and that a child on Yom Kippur could really do anything. They can eat, they can drink, um, but they shouldn't wear leather shoes. Um, the Gemara asks why, uh, and basically uh, because, uh, again, the adult is the one who puts on the shoe, uh, and therefore uh, we want the adult to teach the child um, that they should not be wearing leather shoes on Yom Kippur. Um, interesting, uh, there's just a, a side point which I thought was interesting. Uh, I mean, it's all interesting, but uh, Abaye's, uh, it says Abaye's mother, but it really means Abaye's nursemaid. Um, Abaye's mother unfortunately dies in childbirth, uh, and a, a nursemaid raises Abaye. He was very close to her, so he calls her mother. Uh, and uh, throughout the Gemara, you see uh, Abaye bringing up advice that his uh, nursemaid gave him. So here's one of those instances where the nursemaid uh, taught him about raising 
children, uh, the importance of, of feeding them, of washing them. Uh, and one last thing he says is the, uh, the importance that when they get a little bit older, to let them break some dishes. Uh, that breaking dishes uh, gets out, I guess, aggression, uh, and therefore it let them let them do it. And the Gemara even says there was a rabbi who would buy his children like broken dishes, so that which were not usable anymore, so that they could break the dishes and I guess feel better. Uh, interestingly enough, nowadays there's a new craze uh, that are called smash rooms, uh, where you can actually pay to go to a place to break dishes and electronics and uh i wonder if they read the gemara and that's where they got it from so just interesting uh okay um the king and the queen uh, not the queen uh the king and the bride are allowed to wash on yom kippur they're allowed to wash sorry their faces on yom kippur it's not like they can take a shower um but they can wash their their faces why the gemara says on the bottom of 78 uh the king must always look presentable again uh the king being a um a representative of god to the people uh so he always needs to look uh, uh presentable the kala needs to look good for her husband uh the gemara explains that this is within the first 30 days of her marriage uh afterwards uh, a, a woman should always look good for her husband but here we want to make sure that uh, you know, one day without makeup is okay if you've been married for 10 years. But uh, when you're a new bride, we say, you know, you should do whatever you need to do for 30 days. Um, okay, uh, a woman who just gave birth can wear shoes, um, uh, again, uh, in order to make her feel better so she shouldn't get sick. Uh, if you're afraid that you're going to get bitten by a scorpion, you can also wear shoes. Um, so that is uh, about uh, shoes. Um, now we're going to the last daf, today's daf 79, which is all about uh, shiurim. Shiurim are the measurements or the uh, amounts uh, in order to make one liable uh, for eating or for different things. Um, so um, as we mentioned, the, the amount of eating to be liable on Yom Kippur is uh, the kotevet, uh, which is a large date. Um, the Gemara is going to ask, um right with a pit without a pit here it is uh here it is uh with a pit um the um ah, for a bone to if you see a bone or touch a bone uh to become uh impure it needs to be the size of a wheat kernel um and that is uh, again if it's dry and with its shell um and then there's a, a discussion about uh, this, this size of a date, a large date, is it considered larger than an egg or smaller? Um, I don't know if you remember, but uh, a long time ago, I showed you this uh, chart about uh, different measurements uh, for different things. Uh, some people are um, familiar with the term kezayit. Uh, you have to eat a kezayit. Kezayit is an olive volume. Um, so that's one uh, measurement. Uh, another is what's called a kibetza, like an egg. Uh, and this one is like a date, again, a kotevet. So our question is going to be, I know olive and I know egg. Uh, where does date fit in? Is date in, like, you know, between olive and egg? Is it less than an egg? Or is it more than an egg? Uh, and of course, um, we are going to have 
two different opinions. Uh, the first opinion is that it is larger than an egg. Uh, and of course, the second opinion is that it is smaller than an egg. Um, so that is, uh, that is the, those are the two uh, different opinions. Uh, interestingly, the, the, the Gemara is going to learn it from the laws of Sukkah, which is, of course, our next Masachet. So it's a little bit of a, a preview for our next Masachet, um, which is, uh, we know that you're supposed to eat in the Sukkah. How much food makes you um, um, obligated to eat in the Sukkah? Uh, and the Gemara says uh, that it's a, again, is it a, a kotevet? Is it a beitzah? And, and here the Gemara goes through uh, that, that discussion about sukkah. Uh, interestingly enough, if it's just a snack, uh, you might not necessarily have to uh, eat it in the sukkah. Uh, and from here we get the idea, and we will learn it again uh, in the next Masachet, that if you eat fruits and vegetables, uh, which definitely in the time of the Gemara is seen as a snack and not a meal, uh, you do not need to eat them in the sukkah. Uh, you can and you should, but if you don't have a sukkah near you, uh, it's okay if you're eating fruits and vegetables, um, as opposed to eating bread that always needs to be done in the, um, in the sukkah. Um, and the last thing that's mentioned on DAF 79 is um, the volume for, um, for chametz on Pesach. So it's nice we got Sukkot and now we get Pesach. Um, what is the volume uh, to make one liable for eating, leavening, right? Uh, something that is chametz uh, on Pesach. Uh, and here the, the Gemara explains that there are two different volumes given um, for Seor. Seor is actual leavening. So anybody who makes like sourdough, so it's like the starter, that is uh, real chametz. Um, so the, the size is a zait, uh, an olive amount. Um, but for other things, right, so anything else. Uh, that is also leavened, meaning bread, pretzels, cake, uh, that's a kutevet. Uh, and here, again, the date. Um, so here, uh, the Gemara is going to learn um, why didn't it say a beitza? It must be that the, this date is less than an egg, right? And therefore, it's being more, uh, more strict. Um, so uh, again, that's... Uh, that's the end of, of 79, uh, discussing, again, different, um, different volumes for different foods uh, that we eat. But the, uh, the volume for Yom Kippur, uh, again, in general, the volume for eating is going to be a kezait, an olive. But for Yom Kippur, the prohibition of eating is going to be a kotevet, right? Again, that date. Again, because, and I think this is just important to, uh, uh, to summarize, when we talk about these prohibitions on Yom Kippur, uh, we said that the verse says it has to be an inui nefesh, right? It has to afflict us. Uh, there has to be, um, um, I guess the word is suffering, uh, and that is going to be uh, a, a certain, that's going to be the way we're going to define the different prohibitions that we have. Um, so with that, we finish uh, this week's. Um, I'm going to try for next week to maybe finish up the Masechet. As I mentioned in the beginning, uh, the Masechet is finished on Thursday. Um, so maybe I'll try to summarize quickly because um, we meet on Tuesday. 
So maybe I'll summarize through Thursday and we'll finish up together uh, next Tuesday night. Uh, so we're back to our regular schedule time. And then the week after that, we will start uh, our new Masechet of uh, Sukkah and learn all about Sukkot. Uh, those of you who are uh, debating if they should learn Masechet Sukkah, uh, just recognize that we will finish Masechet Sukkah before Sukkot. Uh, and therefore, you will know all the ins and outs uh, of that holiday and uh, really uh, all the different practices uh, during the time of the temple and nowadays. So that's just a, a, a push for the next Masechet. Um, another thing I would just like to add is that by tomorrow's daf, which means daf 80, uh, those of you who started learning from Masechet Brachot, uh, you will have completed 20% of the Talmud. Uh, so tomorrow will be 20% of the Talmud. So really, kola kavod to everyone who has been learning, uh, and thank you for uh, joining me. Uh, I see uh, many faces who have been here from the beginning, uh, so it's really been uh, my honor, uh, and looking forward to uh, continuing um, our our learning together. So Shavua Tov, everyone, and um, see you next week. Thank you, Rabbi. Thank you.